fill your cup and get ahead with WKGN. One, three, four, oh. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard on this Wednesday morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're rested. Hope your day is off to a good start. Or your lunchtime is going well if you're listening to the podcast. Bob, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Feel like a new man today. Slept well last night. First time in a couple nights. Um, and I came in thankful this morning because um, there's so many of these uh, morning sports talk shows that start at 6 a.m. And I thought back to, you know, our guy Nate Hodges, when he started this show way back when, it's like, glad he did it at 7. Feels good. Might have passed on the opportunity if it was at 6 a.m. I'd probably be out if it was a 6 a.m. show. Yeah, I think, I, uh, yeah. I think I would have passed on that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'd be able to even want to do that. I could do it, but I wouldn't want to. We, uh, back in the Stern days, that's what they called it, the 4.30 blues, because that's about the time you'd have to get up to figure back and everything up. And, man, it's no good. I remember getting up one morning in New York to go do his show. And it was it was at a time when the World Cup was in New York. And I walked out the door on a Monday morning, and there was a bar across the street, and it was an Irish bar, and it was still packed. People partying and everything else, and it's like, man, I'm going to work. It was, it was not a good feeling. Just two different types of people exchanging looks, <laughs> crossing paths. Yes. They're having a great time. You uh, are hating life. Yeah, what, what kind of, I know, I guess it was probably a, just a walk, right, instead of a commute in New York. I, I would assume you live close to the studio. I was just, well, and I was temporarily living there. I was in a hotel. So, yeah, it was like, you know, like four blocks, something okay. like that. Nothing bad. Yeah, I was going to say, because doing a 6 a.m. show here, even even now you'd still have to, you know, wake up by like 4.50. So to do one in New York at that time, yeah, the 4.30 or 4 o'clock blues, I don't think I could do it. But I I feel uh, a little rested or at least a little settled in, I guess I should say, into my routine. It's it's not the getting up that, that bothers me. It's just the, the first moment I wake up thinking, oh, no, here we go again. But then I just roll out and get up, and I, I feel rested and energetic, so that's good. That's good. That's it's the good. mental thing that's messing with me. The physical I got. Uh, taken uh, care of already. It's course correction, man. You don't move a battleship like in on a dime. You gotta take a few days to get it going. So you're getting there. I'm still a little triggered with PTSD of thinking of we talk about battleships and slowly turning. That that's kind of what we talked about with uh, was it Corvarus Crouch? Whenever we used to have him out there in pass coverage <laughs> during the Jeremy Pruitt days, uh, <laughs> that linebacker wasn't very good out there in the flats covering guys. And I was like, oh man, he's Slow at turning around. He's been beaten again. I still think of that when I think of battleships. <laughs> Sam, good morning to you. Good morning. Day three, cheers to you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little tired this morning. But, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it is kind of the uh, 
I think it's more the mental than the physical. Once I get up, I'm good. I'm up and I'm going, but it's just kind of that pitch black outside. You know, you got the multiple alarms going off, and it's just like I could stay in bed, but you got to get after it. What I'm worried about with you is once school starts back up. Yeah, once I'm a little. Your last semester starts back up. How that affects you? I think you'll be fine. You'll get into a good routine, and then was it January 22nd or yeah. whatever it is? I think that'll roll around. You'll be like ah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my worry. You know, yeah. I'm going to get into a groove here of just not really having school and only doing the show. And it's going to be like three weeks of a groove. And then now, you know, I'm going to have to settle back into a school schedule and I'm going to have longer days. But I think that'll be good for me. I'll probably just go home and get to bed real early after that. We will do the best to make you famous to make it worthwhile. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. Do you have, Bob, a story on your walks to the radio studio in New York or maybe the walks home or just in New York in general that stand out as far as the craziest thing that you had to encounter? Was it the Irish bar, the Irish pub popping at 4.30, or was there was there another story that comes to mind? No, I mean, that, that early in the morning, that <clears throat> that was about the, the biggie. Uh, I, I just uh, couldn't believe it. I was like, even even on my best days, I wasn't out at 4.30. <laughs> bended an elbow but uh that world cup was it was pretty interesting just seeing the kind of the whole melting pot it's a good time to be in new york actually to kind of see how many different cultures were out there you know flexing and doing their thing it was uh it was it was fun but no not really that early in the morning even in a place like you know new york city it's it's kind of dead what years did you live there well i was going back and forth in the early 90s it was uh like well, because World Cup would have been what ninety four is that right? Yeah, I was gonna say started like started doing stuff with him in ninety one, ninety two, and then the 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 actual transition of the show to do his radio show was in ninety four. So yeah, and uh, again that was that was about the time I had the opportunity to come to Knoxville, and uh, I didn't blink. I was. I knew I was either going to have to pick to live in New York or live in L.A. And I didn't want to live in L.A. anymore, and I knew I didn't want to live in New York because my money even went less far in New York than it did in L.A. And then also the hours. It was just it wasn't going to wasn't going to be for me. For the audience that may be interested, speaking of L.A., I've got an update from Cody. He's settled in. He has settled in okay. in L.A. and he is. Getting on stage, he's done a couple of sets and uh, sent me. We exchanged screenshots of the ten-day forecast, and that's sad. It wasn't perfect, as he called it, but you know, a high of seventy-one next week, and I showed him that you know we have a low of like ten on a couple of days. So we exchanged uh, some of those things. Is it, but is it next Tuesday where the weather's going to be just brutal? I think like I'm going to come in here in a. Yeah. Like a snowman, you know, just me bundled sure up in about every my, jacket I got. Make sure I have all my hoodies yeah. warm. I've been a hoodie, sweats, and toboggan guy so far, but I'm going to have to break out some big gloves to not to get there and work that damn gate and take them off and fumble it around, and it's it's going to be tough next week. I'm already getting the weather forecast from my daughter, who's in high school, because, you know, they're already trying to scheme ways that there's no school, you know, and they won't have school on Monday already um for mlk day but uh yeah then she's she's like man we could be out tuesday too it's like <laughs> i love the effort you know it's a week away and they're already talking about that well will the schools stay out for you know extreme temperatures like that because i i know that at least growing up out in the country down in mcmahon county 
we got out a lot whenever like the buses and the people who had to wait on the buses were affected. So I imagine if you are a a Knoxville City, you know, student, and you're having to get on the bus at six thirty or six o'clock in the morning. It's like eight degrees outside. That can't be safe. So does that affect the schools? Or do they just start late? I guess, or how does that work? It's it's usually they err to the side of caution and shut it down because if there's particularly if there's any moisture out there, then there's the the worry that it freezes, and for the buses that is a problem. So, um, yeah, and then the private schools typically at this point they follow the lead of the public's you know whatever they do sure do you even get a day off in today's day and age where now like they just do online class like i feel like that kind of ruined snow days when when they had zoom classes going on there's a lot of chatter about that i think when it's a one-off day there it's not so much happening but if they if we ever get bad weather now where it's going to be multiple days yes that's been talked about where it's like yeah you're not going to just chill for three Mm. days um that yeah that was born out of uh that was born out of the covid yeah effect so we got out growing up so much for rain really down where i'm from yeah just because i guess certain parts of the country just or the county i should say excuse me but out in the country would just flood like you know if it rained too much and the buses couldn't get through there so like if if one section of the county was affected then they just shut it down like there's like one or two back roads where a couple kids live that the buses couldn't get to so School got called off for everybody. Sounds like you nice. had a lot of off days. We did. Which That's nice. Probably didn't bear well for uh, you know for me uh, becoming a good student or uh, you know the school putting out the best test scores. Not not the best situation there. Definitely not private school <laughs> education. It was uh, a very very basic, probably below average county uh, school education there. Funny, they uh, again where my daughter goes to school. They have they go you know K through twelve. The lower school they announced last night they were closed today because the heating system went out in that building. So again, my daughter comes down going, "Hey, I got this notification about the lower school being out." My keep in mind, my daughter's in high school. I go, "Yeah," and she goes, "That mean we're out too?" And I was like, "Different buildings, man. <laughs> it's like it's not happening." That's um, tough. Yeah, yeah. It's like just, but I, I'm sure I was there at that age too. You know, you're always looking for an angle. Going to bed, looking at the you know the scrolling ticker of school mm-hmm. starting to get announced. You're hoping like are they going to announce mine yet? Are they going to announce mine? You go to yet you go to bed and you're hoping you wake up and there's snow or something on the ground. Please, the days that there were were great. The days there weren't those were the worst mornings. Snow days aren't as magical anymore. Yeah, when you get did you have Snowbird? Did you watch Snowbird? That's what I watched. That was like the the ticker, and then that Snowbird was the guy that there was just actually, comes on yeah, the screen. Just a big bird. Yeah, yeah. That, we did have that. Yeah. 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 And you just got to wait until your until your school comes up and like all your other schools are closed and then you see yours and now mine, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, open. but you're from Nashville, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the snowbird was just statewide. I guess. I guess it's a pretty good gimmick. Was he just a penguin? Because I vaguely yeah, remember penguin. him, but I have not thought penguin. of I have big not thought penguin. of the snowbird in a long time. <laughs> but once you mentioned it, uh, an image did pop back into my head. Mm-hmm. That's him. Well, speaking of Nashville, some big news out of Nashville that people were waiting for. The Titans have made a decision with their head coaching situation. We'll dive into that. I do think that's probably the biggest story of the day. Number one and number two did go down in college basketball. We'll we'll dive into that afterwards. But the Titans fire Mike Vrabel. Then they send the GM out to handle the press conference. The owner had her private thing with the, the, the team's, I guess, social media platforms. It's a real cluster, you know what. We'll talk we'll talk about it next. It is the morning show 
here on Fan Run Radio. After six years, the Titans have parted ways with Mike Vrabel. They are now looking for a head coach. The news came out yesterday, I guess about, what, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock? I know I was sitting here with Houston in the studio, and he's the one that broke the news to me. Tough reaction. Well, at first I was like, what, really? He's like, yeah, they fired him. I was like, what? They fired him? Because, you know, I had talked myself into – at the very least, you you work on a trade, right? Mm-hmm. You you get some type of compensation from a team that wants him. But instead, nope, the Titans were just like, hey, we're going to make the move. And then, you know, Amy Adams-Strunk came out and, and talked to Mike Keith, VFL, and she was basically like, yeah, we maybe could have gotten something, but, you know, we just wanted to make the decision now. We didn't want to fall behind. And then Diana Rossini is like, yeah, the Titans just decided it was a little too complicated to try to find a trade. And I was like, wait, so we're just giving up? We're just like, ah, it's a little bit too much work. In my mind, I don't know what you guys thought when you read that, but I immediately thought of just the story of Allen Iverson and how you know he would talk about, ah, you know, I didn't really like packing and, and traveling with clothes when I was in the NBA. He's like, so when I got to New City – I would just buy a whole new wardrobe there and new shoes, and I would just leave them when I left. Like, yeah, you know, we're just going to throw away some assets. It's fine because it's the easiest thing to do. That's what I thought of as we threw away Mike Vrabel and just said, hey, yeah, we'll just we'll get a new coach later. We're not going to try to get anything for him. We're not going to sell him back. We're not going to pack and take advantage and be the most fiscally responsible. But, Bob, what were your thoughts when you saw that Mike Vrabel and the Titans had just parted ways? Well, when I saw what, uh, yeah, what Amy's <laughs> – what Amy said, I my first inclination would be then who do you have as your replacement if you're you you know you don't want to waste any time. That's why they didn't try to work out a deal and they just went ahead and cut him loose. I and and we know the answer to that. I don't think they have anybody. We'll see for you know in the next day or so, but I bet they don't. And it's like so again, it and I'm not even a Titans fan, but I I understand the uh, the anger you would have as a Titans fan that you didn't get something in return for yeah you, know, you didn't work out a deal that you didn't get something in return for him departing. It does get complicated, so like I don't want to act you know unreasonable. It does get complicated whenever the team most likely to trade for Mike Vrabel, the team that probably covets him, and I would say probably his destination is New England, and they kind of have their own thing to work out. You know, you don't really get many three-way deals with coaches. So, like, in the past, you know, you, you've had coaches get traded. I think, you know, Sean Payton got traded from the Saints to the Broncos, you know, this last year. But, of course, the Saints had a coach, and the Broncos had an opening, and it was an easy fit. You know, Bruce Arians kind of the same way whenever he went from Arizona to Tampa. But the team most likely to want Mike Vrabel is the Patriots, and they got Bill Belichick they have to figure out. So, I, I understand it is complicated. It's not a simple fix. It's not, you know, I, I don't know if it's a situation where you can even agree on something in principle and then go and, you know, start interviewing and vetting these coordinators because that was kind of my thought was like, hey, you know, if you trade a coach, you can't do it till divisional weekend. I was like, that's okay because you can't start having in-person interviews with these coordinators until then either. Like you could do right. some Zoom stuff coming up and you can start vetting and I know there's a brotherhood with coaches where you don't want to seem like you're snaking someone's job and like hey we're not going to talk to the Titans about their job you have a coach like no no he knows he's gone one way or the other so like after I kind of calmed down it was like okay it it was headed for breakup 
Would a second-round pick have been really good for this team? Yeah. But like Amy said, is hiring the best possible candidate probably more important long in the long run than getting a second-round pick or a third-round pick? Yeah, probably. Do I trust the Titans to make that higher? No. <laughs> no, I don't. And at the very least, Sam, I don't know how you felt as a Titans fan. It was embarrassing. You looked like a bunch of idiots. Like You look like a poorly ran organization that is pulling in multiple directions as you know, Amy has been inconsistent on her reasoning for the firing, right? Everything that's been coming out from the shadows has basically been like the GM ran Carthen, Mike Vrabel, not pulling in the same direction, not collaborative, don't have a great relationship, don't know who's making the final cause. He wants to he wants to tank and rebuild Carthen, you know, last year. But Vrabel's like, no, let's get DeAndre Hopkins. Let's not trade any of our veterans at the trade deadline other than Kevin Byard. And let's kind of try to stay competitive. We can grind this out and make the playoffs. Pulling in different directions. But then you have Amy Adams like, no, we just weren't winning enough. The last two seasons sucked. Like, we're trying to win championships, and we had losing records. And, and Vrabel wasn't winning enough, so we got rid of him. So you're saying multiple things. And that's embarrassing. And then every media member that covers the NFL – was praising Vrabel yesterday, like, hey, you had Schefter saying he's an immediate tier one candidate for every coaching job. Wow, the Titans fired a really good coach, and look at that roster he was given, which is true. The roster wasn't great. What did you expect him to do? So at the very least, I was embarrassed. Were you embarrassed? A little embarrassed. The word that I that came to mind for me was just lazy. To me, it felt like you have, you know, you brought up that you can't really interview most of these guys until after the divisional round. And so in person, you could do right, some zoom yeah, interviews yeah. next week, but yeah, those are the most, you know, the most important interviews. You're not going to hire anybody before they come in. The right. And, and so to me, it feels like so many of your potential candidates are already in the playoffs here and, and waiting, you know, for their team to be eliminated, I guess, for you to really start making a push in terms of them becoming your next head coach. So to me, it still felt like you had a little bit of time to work out a trade and then it wasn't, something that was you know urgent right in the moment I, I completely understand the reasoning why you don't want to get you know jumped by another team and kind of left in the dust if you do mess around with the Vrabel trade but to me with the time that you kind of had on your hands before the real coaching search kind of gets down and, and gets into it to me it felt like you had a little bit of time to trade Vrabel and I think they kind of panicked and and I think they're embarrassed by what happened on Monday is what yeah is what I think yeah. that because because the players all kind of came out, we're like, we don't really know the coach's future, and we're not really going to have any exit interviews. And Vrabel skipping, you know, the the end of the season review, and and you know, kind of leaking out that he's unhappy, and all this stuff kind of came out, and there was so much smoke around the organization. I think it caught the ownership by surprise, the front office by surprise, and I think it kind of forced your hand into kind of making a resolution. Because I know me and my Titans friends, we were talking about like, well. We just want to know what's going to happen. And if your fan base thinks that, I understand the need to just be like, well, we're cutting this cancer out. We're, you know, we're ending this. We are going to say it's over and we're just going to, you know, take an L on any assets, but to kind of give some clarity and let, let the players and let, let, you know, the, the guys still, you know, working in the organization know that they're going in a different direction. The question I, I had was you, you two would probably know better because you're bigger fans um, so you probably know depth on the story. The, 
do we think that there was I mean, obviously, yeah, Vrabel kind of became a no-show there on Monday. It was do you think do you think there was any dialogue with him and Amy Strunk where he was just saying, "Hey man, let's just call this." Um everyone keeps saying no. Like the the last update was that I think from Diana Rossini who has a pretty good line to Vrabel. She's the best at breaking Titans news, I think, mm-hmm. because she has a good relationship inside with some of those guys. And her last update was Vrabel did not ask out, did not ask to be traded, did not ask out, was willing to stay and like wanted to be in Tennessee. But on Monday, you had the reports that Vrabel was pushing for a a new person to come in the front office and be the final say, like to basically be the tie break between him and the GM. Like, hey, Vrabel's got his input, which reportedly I think Paul Kaharski, who you know has covered the Titans for you know, 25 years, I think his report was that Mike Vrabel had more input on this roster and in the front office than most head coaches. Now, you can you know, kind of make your own decision on how much more than most is because, you know, some coaches maybe have zero say. So if you have, like, 20% influence, that could be more than most. But Vrabel had his input, the GM had his direction, and they wanted a tiebreaker. So, like, there was at least some reports, Bob, of Vrabel – making demands to be placated, I guess, if that's if that's the way to put it. Like, maybe not ask out, but said, hey, if I'm going to be here, this is the way things need to work. And I guess it just become became untenable. Became untenable. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big part of me that I like Vrabel. I respect Vrabel. I think the players play hard for him. Like, I didn't really think the team quit at all over the, the back half of the season. I think, to the contrary, you know, they they won their Week 18 game. They really only had the ugly Texans game, you know, two weeks ago. But the the two in Nashville against Seattle and Houston, you lost in overtime or at the end of the game, uh, you know, buzzer beater with the Colts as well in overtime. So, like, it wasn't an effort issue. The Monday night comeback against Miami, you know, you didn't give up. But when you also tell me it's been two years since you scored 30 points in today's NFL, there's a part of me that's like, hey, I'm, I'm fine with going with a modern approach to football. I don't want the grinded out type of mentality that he has anymore. I yeah. want to try something new. Because when you look at it as it's been six years and Mike Vrabel won a playoff game in only one of those six years, it's a crazy stat, but it's a true stat. You know, of course, you you sprinkle in the one seed in a first round bye, so at least like you didn't make the second round, but then you lost in I don't want to say embarrassing fashion to the Bengals, but you blew a golden opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. You were the best team that year, at least had proven that you could beat the Chiefs. You had dominated them that year. You had a home game against them had you made it to the AFC Championship, and you had a home game against the Bengals that you lost. So that was a wasted opportunity. One year where you actually won a playoff game in six years it's not like Vrabel was having huge success in Tennessee or you know huge sustained success you didn't fire somebody that you know was close to getting you to a championship the better the best days were behind him I think you could say I always felt speaking candidly I always felt he got excessive credit for for beating his mentor in the playoffs you know I mean and and it was a great win obviously but I didn't even realize that. To your point, that's that was the only playoff win. Well, not the only playoff win, yeah. but the only year they won because they they did turn around and beat Baltimore the next week and go to the AFC Championship. Yeah, but that's the only season where he had wins. Now, he had yeah. two of them, but yeah, that was the only because you lost to Baltimore the next year in COVID. 
you lost the one seed, at, you know, to the Bengals after that, and then you, you know, missed the playoffs, playoffs the last two seasons. Yeah, so not a. Uh, Your offense was ranked twenty seventh or worse yeah. in three of the six years that he was there. Yeah, so I mean, like there, there were rewards with Vrabel that Titans fans were tired of. I mean, like the coordinators. You know, people complained about that and the fact he was just hiring his buddies and the offense. You know, you couldn't couldn't score like to to not luck into one thirty point game like to be what what you say twenty seventh in the twenty seventh or worse yeah in three of the six years yeah so I mean like there were the two years you know when Tannehill took over the end of nineteen you became a really high powered offense in twenty twenty you were one of the top offenses if not the top offense but like outside of that you were just trying to grind out single possession wins and you had a lot of success early on in your tenure doing that. Then the last couple of years, you kept losing all those close games, and that's why the record, you know, kind of cratered. And like in that best year, it was the Derrick Henry two thousand yard season. Like I don't know if anybody is screwing that up, where Derrick Henry's just running for one hundred and fifty yards just about every single week. And you well, I won't say that AJ was the Brown. best season because you were the one seed the year Henry got hurt. You know, Henry got hurt. I guess in what week eight against the Colts, yeah. I believe it was. So yeah, like you still managed to get the one seed as a very injured team. And the 2,000-yard season, I think, was, you know, the year after the AFC Championship run, which you could say was also, you know, a better season. But your point being, whenever the offense was clicking, you had Derrick Henry in his prime and A.J. Brown. And then, you know, maybe that was the riding on the wall for this roster and for Mike Vrabel and his his feeling of betrayal from this front office was when they traded A.J. Brown and kind of took away his best player against his will. And if you watched – or you've seen the clips from the draft in the war room that night, like when they trade A.J. Brown, like he has to get up and storm off. Like he's mad. He's clearly very, very upset with the decision. And I think maybe that's what led to him wanting this power in the front office because he's like, hey, this last guy, John Robinson, completely screwed this roster. Like he has whiffed on draft picks. He has traded our best player. And now I'm having to try to, you know, overcompensate for the roster he left. So I want final say. And then, you know, the new GM's like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. And, you know, then you end up with the power struggle. And you can't really fire a first-year GM who had a couple good draft picks. I mean, it looks like Will Levis might be a good draft pick. Tajay Spears was a good draft pick. And, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, so Vrabel was the guy that's easy to take the fall. Do you think Traylon Burks? I was just thinking he about sucks. that. Yeah, I was going to say. He that, sucks. That was a, that was a miss, right? Yeah, that was a, a a big miss, and you know the Cody used to talk about the knee issues that you know Arkansas people knew he had, and that's kind of he hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Even his first like camp, it gets revealed that he has asthma and he can't handle the southern heat. And you're like, wait, what? He went to Arkansas. How do we yeah. not know he had asthma and couldn't handle like the southern humidity? I imagine it's pretty humid in Arkansas too. So like, yeah, it seems like a miss. He Tajay uh, Tajay Spears. Right, I don't know why I said. I was about to say sharp. Um, former receiver. He had more catches this year mm-hmm. as a running back than Traylon Burks has had his entire career. Spears as a first good, round man. pick, but yeah, yeah, he looks good. But your running back shouldn't have more yeah. career receptions than your first round wide receiver that you drafted to be the replacement for AJ Brown. And you know, maybe if you hit on Burks and he is good. You know, maybe this roster feels different, and maybe you have a, a number one or at least a good number two receiver to pair with DeAndre Hopkins, and maybe things feel better. But him being so bad last year and the receiving core being as bad as it was last year, and then you combine that, you know, with with another, you know, offense that can't block 
and the offensive line just completely in shambles. And it's clear to see that the ownership could look at this roster and say, yeah, we need a change because something's not good. And, like, it's not fun to watch either. Like, this season was very, very boring at its best and just dreadful at its worst. Something really interesting to me during that Rand Carthon press conference was him talking about uh, Peter Skaronsky, and he basically said that he didn't view him as a guard. So I think Vrabel kind of shoved Skaronsky into that guard role, and he even said that he would be open to, to maybe you know giving Skaronsky some time at left tackle. And to me, that was w- what really upset me from that press conference because he had a revolving door at left tackle all season with three or four different guys playing. Like, give him a little bit of time if you view him in the slightest at being – an option at tackle. Yeah, that was something as a fan that you're waiting to see. Like, try something different because for the second straight year, your left tackle's been getting abused. And and Vrabel wanted Dillard. He wanted Andre Dillard from the Eagles, you know, their backup. He trusted in him. And that was apparently kind of his guy that he kind of uh, believed in. And that guy was the worst left tackle in the league. And that would create a rift between the coach and the GM if the GM's like, hey, I tried to get you a guy to fix the offensive line. We got a, an All-American. Yeah, his arms are a little short. That's what they say. They call him T-Rex because he has, you know, maybe not the best wingspan for your tackle. But he made it work in the Big Ten. At least try it. Give him a break because – or give him a, some reps because we didn't draft – if you're Rand Carthen, you didn't want to draft a guard at number 11. You want to draft a tackle and fix this line. So that would – breed a lot of frustration and, and how different does this draft look this year if Correct. you gave Skaronsky some time he looks good at left tackle and now you're like okay we've got a left tackle that we're confident in for next season now we can go get a premium skill position with the seventh overall pick for Will Levis to throw to well maybe now that it does open up that possibility potentially and, and, and I do think that's just a part of the them not being on the same page which yeah. is why they had to break up Bob do you have any thoughts about how the Titans handled it because a lot of people looked at it and said Amy Adams, the owner, a taped interview with Mike Keith. Now, we'll give Mike Keith credit, VFL. He did ask hard questions. He didn't, like, lobber softballs. He She answered them, but it was in a controlled environment. And then she sent out the GM to kind of come out and answer these questions whenever it was very clear he didn't make this decision to fire Vrabel, and he's having to answer about <coughs> relationships and the offensive line being bad and the future of the program or the franchise, I should say. A lot of people looked at that and said that's very, very poor leadership from the Titans' ownership. Yeah, it's, it's it, sadly, it's it's kind of a vintage move these days, whether it's an NFL team or a corporation, they send out their – you know, in this case, she sent out Carthon, her GM, but, you know, a lot of companies will send out their comms person. They won't put the actual decider in front of the, the, the press to talk about it live. And um, I, so I can't say I'm surprised. I think it's poor form, but uh, none of that surprises me. And, um, yeah, and I thought I'll, I'll give Keith credit, given the circumstances, given his role with the, the franchise and everything. I felt like he, he did try to touch on hard questions which uh it, it wasn't all softballs so that that would that part was good but still I don't know if that's more of a commentary on they just don't trust her in that environment I don't even know if that was her call you know what I mean I would imagine it's her call as she is the the owner right. and the final decision maker but I also kind of just like hey you know answering tough questions and being yelled at probably wouldn't be fun so I'm just going to uh Skip that, and you go do it. This is what I pay you for, Rand. All right, send us a break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. 
Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Drink White Claw Hard Seltzer responsibly. Only 100 calories. Ditch the beer belly bloat. It's clear. It's going to be better for you. Drink responsibly. Well, now that you're the Titans and you are tasked with finding a new coach, just from a philosophy standpoint, do you think you go with an offensive guy, a defensive guy, the best candidates? Because your Colts went and got an offensive guy, and it worked really well. It did seem like the he's a good coach. It did seem like you know they trusted him to get Anthony Richardson. I know Anthony Richardson, of course, got hurt, but Steichen seems to be a winner. But on the flip side, the Texans went out with a young quarterback and got D'Amico Ryans, and... They were really good, and they're in the playoff, and C.J. Stroud was good. So do you think it matters offense versus defensive when it, when it comes to the candidate, Bob? Well, I think for this particular team that you're talking about, being the Titans, I, I would say I'm also thinking from a fan's perspective. I know winning is what's going to matter most, but um, you got to have a more entertaining product too. Yeah. I mean, that's critical. And um, and in this day and age, you know, you said it earlier, it was hard for you as uh, one of the biggest Titans fans I know to, to really watch and suffer this team on offense. Um, I think I think the, the, the trend is more and more towards that. D'Amico Ryans was really interesting, too. It was an interesting dichotomy because what you talked about was um, – he came in as a defensive guy, but, you know, you bring in someone like C.J. Stroud, that cures a lot of ills. But, I mean, he's – but their offense has been, by my measure, and Stroud plays a big role in that, obviously, but it's been opened up, you know. it's uh, it, And so that that's what I would – my vote would be for someone with more of an offensive mind. Their offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, is one of the main names that the Titans are looking at. It did feel like the Texans were opened up, but I do think I saw a stat. You know, the you can find a stat for everything now when it comes to offense, but it, it did say that the Texans, I think, had the second highest rate of their possessions where it went run, run, drop back, which I assume means pass. So, like, the Titans have been run, run, pass for so long, but the Texans apparently did it the second most this year, which is funny because it did feel like they were opened up and you did have like Tank Dell running around and CJ Stroud's throwing for 400 yards in a couple of games and they looked explosive. But like, I don't know if he was as innovative on offense as we were maybe giving them credit for. But his rookie quarterback was the best rookie quarterback by far. And CJ Stroud, I mean, if you're just ranking quarterbacks in general in the league, is he already top 10? Is, it, is anybody pushing back if I tell you that I think C.J. Stroud is already right there, borderline top 10 quarterback, because it feels right. Now, then we could argue about is that because of coaching or is that because of just maybe C.J. Stroud being an elite talent, right? And that's, how, that's kind of what you have to decide because some guys are just really good. Yeah. Some guys don't need to be babysat or developed. Some guys just have it. So I do kind of maybe get a little bit afraid of hiring a guy who maybe just coached a really good player. You know what I mean? Like, and we're giving him credit for that. Because, like, Arthur Smith, he looked great with Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, and then you see him to Atlanta, and all of a sudden that archaic, you know, that archaic offense, every Atlanta fan pretty much hate him and thought that, you know, hated him and thought that he was a, a Neanderthal. 
thought that he didn't really know how to coach offense. Whenever you tell me he had a two thousand yard back, he had a you know a top five offense in Tennessee, and then he went to Atlanta and sucked because the players weren't as good, or maybe he just got propped up in Tennessee. Another candidate's Ben Johnson, the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator. He is a guy that is getting a lot of a lot of buzz in circles. You know, he got a lot of buzz last go around. But even I have my reservations there with him just because I'm not gonna say it's easy to coach the Lions offense, but you got an elite receiver and I'm on Ross St. Brown, and you got a top five, top three offensive line. It's easy to call plays when you have, you know, unlimited protection. You can just run the ball and set up everything. I don't know how he would fare being in the mud that is the Tennessee Titans offense because you are going to be in the mud for a while. There's not a lot of talent on that offense. To me, I'm more confident uh, in Slowick from from the Texans, honestly, than I think I am in a Ben Johnson from Detroit. I kind of come to the pedigree, honestly, and and I look at Slowick's pedigree as a coach, and I just think he's been in the right places. You know, obviously, he started out his career, you know, in that kind of very famous uh, Shanahan system over there in Washington and and found his way over to – to San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and has kind of worked his way up into, you know, was their pass game coordinator with the Niners. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but he was on the defensive side of the ball in Washington, right? So was on the defensive side. He does have a little bit of the Scott Frost thing going on where he has coached both offense and defense, but then he quit Washington or, you know, his time in Washington ended and then he became just like a writer for Pro Football Focus. Is that right? Like yeah. I think he became just like an analytical like study things and like became a writer, which is a weird career choice for a coach. But then he got back into coaching and maybe it helped. He got on the offensive side of the ball. So like he does check some of those boxes and does have ties to Rand Carthen, you know, from from San Francisco. So, you know, he might be the guy they end up hiring, which if I was gonna go on the defensive side of the ball, I think I would look towards uh, the Ravens' defensive coordinator, yeah, Mike guy's, McDonald. That guy's got a lot of buzz, but also on the defensive side of the ball, there was a reporter, Bob, that came out and said that he's heard that the Titans already have their guy, and it's the Patriots' defensive coordinator and Tennessee boy, Gerard Mayo, which I thought was kind of crazy. They wanted a younger version of Rabel without the baggage, as, as they called it. I don't love that. That's just my two cents. And I know Mayo's gotten a lot of uh, – a lot of praise. I know he's even been talked about as a potential heir apparent up in New England at one point. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, many times he's been talked about just kind of as Belichick's pick to be the the guy, yeah. and, and how Kraft agrees, and they they love him. So he's respected. You know, I'd kind of talk myself into maybe he should be a candidate. You know, but when we hired Josh Heupel, just because I thought he would be able to recruit here too, but. I think in college you do need to go more with the offensive philosophy, whereas in the NFL I think you just hire the best guy who can put the best people around him. Let's talk about – we spent time talking about him yesterday, but um, say that they just go for the home run and they you know throw a bunch of money at someone like Harbaugh. How do you feel about that? I think Harbaugh would be able to I – th- I think Harbaugh, and you know maybe you could push back and say Andy Reid, but I think over the last 15, 20 years there, have, there has not been a better – developer of quarterbacks than Jim Harbaugh. Like, I think he maximizes what those guys can do. He couldn't do it with Joe Milton. And that was the only guy he couldn't really do it with. But outside of that, every stop he's had, you know, he coached Andrew Luck. He In, in the NFL, he made Alex Smith good. He made Colin Kaepernick good. He got to, you know, Michigan, and he turned J.J. McCarthy into the best quarterback in Michigan history, as he calls him. So I would trust that he would be able to – to coach Levis up, 
to give you to make your quarterback right now that you think might be the future to give him the best chance to maybe succeed. I think Harbaugh has the best track record of that. 60 years old, he doesn't feel like he's, you know, doesn't feel like he's winding down by any means, right? Like it feels like he is going to be coaching for the next 10 years, so I don't even really worry about that. I would be I don't know. Would you be okay with the Harbaugh hire, yes or no? Uh, I don't know. I kind of lean no. Didn't he have some troubles with the Diners GM coming out, or was it their owner? There I was think there was kind of a riff when they Yeah, that, when they that left was a different there. regime. But, yeah, like maybe maybe he would be somebody that would want more control of the roster and you'd kind of run into the same situation. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm thinking. That you would, you know, right. or that you were, I guess, with Vrabel. So, no, I would say no to Harbaugh, but, like, I do think – I give him credit. I do think he develops quarterbacks better than anybody. He feels like a shoe-in to, to the Chargers for me. That just feels like too good of a situation in terms of having an elite quarterback already in Herbert. It still still feels like Vegas really wants him. But yeah, like, I've seen that. If I'm him, I don't know if I go into that locker room that clearly wants Pierce and, like, I may, maybe you just don't take that job either. I, I don't know. I do think he – although he announced that there's – did you take the announcement that Michigan's spring ball had gotten moved back a month? He's like, hey, we're going to give him a month off. We're going to move it back a month. Did you take that as a sign that he has plans? He's coming back, or that like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be here, so I'll give the new coach time to get the spring ball thing all set up, or did it have any effect on you at all? He's he's such an animal. I wouldn't expect him to give them that much of a break. I think it's more fair enough breathing room that if he's if he's gonna leave. Twitter writes in saying he wants Eric Bieniemy, which you know Eric Bieniemy, he. I think he gets or should get more respect for what he did in Kansas City. Yeah. With the way that Kansas City's looked without him. Now, you could say they just didn't have any receivers, but they also just didn't look very well coached on offense either at times. Halfway through the year when Washington's offense looked really good, that might have been a, a better hire, but you know they kind of crashed back down to earth. But I imagine Biennemi will get some interviews again. Who knows? I don't I find I have a hard time having like an NFL hot board. It's not like college. In college, like when an opening comes open, there's guys that you know, or there's guys you want, or there's guys you covet. In the NFL, it's always going to be some coordinator you don't really keep up with that you could talk yourself up, you know, talk yourself into. Like, hey, he used to work with Shanahan. Okay, it it's all the relationships in the NFL. You know? Yeah, it's it like who do you know? You got a good relationship with this front office. All right, you go there. But I feel like yeah, in college, you can kind of pick and choose where some guys leaning. It means he hung out with Sean McVay at some point. He had a beer with Sean McVay. <laughs> yeah. Give him the job. <laughs> Send us a break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. If you have any thoughts on Mike Vrabel, on the Titans opening, on Tennessee basketball tonight, phone lines open, 865-546-8200. If you want to hop on with us at 8.30, we will be joined by, by Will, Will Warren. Stats by Will will come on and help kind of forecast Tennessee, Mississippi State, while also kind of recapping you know last night's SEC action. And, you know, kind of looking at the SEC as a whole. Did you find yourself watching any college basketball last night, Bob? Oh, I watched one game. Um, yeah, I, I flipped around. And I, I wanted to watch a little bit of Kentucky, uh, see what, what's going on with them. I mean, they continue to uh, roll on. Yeah, Missouri seems to have kind of been a flash in the pan, I think. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think Missouri 
is very good this year. It seems like that that might have been a one one off for them as they you know are hovering around five hundred and you know kind of was in the game against Kentucky but ends up losing by thirteen and yeah yeah um, yeah I watched a, a little bit of Auburn Texas A and M. It's hard for me to re- remember when at the beginning of the season Texas A and M was ranked highly regarded i think the second highest sec team that was ranked they were they were and uh, i mean they you know and they they were competitive with auburn but i mean it's that was their sixth loss last night i believe so uh but auburn auburn looks good um and then yeah and i and then i spent some time watching that purdue nebraska game and we know what happened there we're going to talk a little bit about number one number two going down a little later in the show because that was uh and there's no undefeateds left either. You know, Houston was the last one. No undefeateds left. Tennessee may be going to reap some benefits and move yep. up in the polls. Although, I don't know, like one and two losing, they might only drop a spot or two. I guess it depends on on how Tennessee plays tonight. But, yeah, Texas A&M, a little surprising just because they got dominated by LSU on, on, on Saturday. I watched some of that. and At home. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was a surprise. Um, I don't know what to make of LSU. I mean, if you recall last year, they started out undefeated in pre-conference play. I don't remember that. I just remember them yeah. being dreadful last yeah, year. Yeah, no, they well they were once conference hit. I don't think they, they're two and zero in conference this year. They may not have won two conference games last year. They took the old uh, Will Wade approach of just scheduling just anybody they could get their exactly. hands on to, to pump up a record. Exactly. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I I was watching some of that too the other night, and that's what got me gave me pause on Texas A and M because you know they obviously they have an all conference player in Wade Taylor and um, Buzz can coach them up. We know that they return most of their players, so uh, I'm I'm a little puzzled by them right now. Auburn and A and M was a weird game. I mean, I understand you can't always just go by hey here's what happened the game before. This is going to carry over over because obviously that doesn't happen in college athletics, but. I thought A and M, after their dreadful, after their dreadful performance against LSU, was going to come out and just maybe look lifeless against Auburn. But instead, they did kind of hang in that game they before did. losing by eleven. I took that more as a red flag against Auburn, though, like just at home to not play very well. But then you look and they just moved ahead of Tennessee in the Kempom rankings. Auburn is apparently the fourth best team in the country. I saw that. According to the metrics. And somehow KD Johnson is still there at Auburn. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah, that dude's nuts. Um I uh yeah, I Well, we all know. We 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 all saw it firsthand. You know, it's tough to to bet against Bruce by the end of the season, but uh they they look good, you know. The other team that's highly ranked in Ken Palm, and they have a fair amount of losses, but it's more, uh, you know, reflection of who they've played. But they looked like they were getting right last night. Was Alabama? I mean, they. Uh, it's like now, I felt like now we know a little more about South Carolina because they were only one loss going into that game, but they got absolutely pounded by Alabama last night. Yeah, some trash talk from Nate Oates too after the game, yeah. where he said South Carolina kept talking about how. The SEC wasn't ready for them and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, we saw tonight that they weren't ready for the SEC. Yeah. Basically, like, South Carolina had, had some edge to them, was trying to talk trash, but you saw what happened. But, yeah, no, Alabama number seven in the metrics. So, like, three SEC teams in the top seven. The conference is really solid. You know, I, I did think that Tennessee was going to, I don't want to say run away with the conference, but I did think they were the heavy favorite to win. And, you know, maybe they're going to have more competition than I thought from, you know, both Alabama schools. 
Yeah, I I still uh, I made that mention the other day, and I I, yeah, I, Kentucky. I called it the uh, the I, what I called the middle of the conference, but that doesn't necessarily mean middling. Um, there's there's some really good teams below what we would consider to be top tier, which is Tennessee and and Kentucky. Um, obviously, Auburn might belong in that conversation. Alabama's, you know, we've come to learn this is what we're going to get from them every year. Yeah, what about Arkansas? Arkansas has lost a lot of games, but we know what uh, Musselman does with them each year. Later in the season, they're there. So, it's yeah, it'll be a tough conference season for sure. Kentucky looks good. Like you said, Musselman will be there at the end of the year. And then going to uh, Mississippi State tonight, Tennessee, only two-and-a-half-point favorites. Mississippi State, a top-30 team. So, going on the road in college basketball is tough. Tennessee is going on the road 6 p.m. local time in Starkville, 7 o'clock tip. We'll talk about that throughout the show. Like I said, Stats by Will coming up at 8.30 to give us a Tennessee basketball uh, look from the numbers and look uh, you know, from the analytics. We'll kick off Hour 2 with some more stuff that happened last night, get you up to speed. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.